1: Welcome to an All Star Break edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here. With Alex Berutha. It's Tuesday, February twenty first. Uh, things are suspiciously quiet, Alex, in the NBA world. Uh, this is always a kind of a nice little reprieve of a week for for you and I and the NBA guys at Rotowire. Um, obviously, a big time grind really from the NBA draft and summer league all the way uh, through the first half. But this is kind of the the only real break that we get, um, you know, until the end of the postseason in late June. So it it says a lot when the, the big news of the day is that Chris Dunn is back in the NBA.
2: Chris Dunn's back. Frank Jackson's back. Jorgen Goodwin finally gets that standard deal after the, the Will Barton buyout. Um, yeah, the news is starting to trickle in today a little bit, and I assume there's going to be a lot more 10 days and stuff signed at this point in the year. But, um, yeah, there was some bigger news before that, that, was in the all-star break, the Westbrook stuff, Giannis, etc.
1: Yeah, we'll try to hit uh, rapid fire through a bunch of the news just from the last few days. Uh, it's good, kind of been a slow period for, for pods as well. So, you know, if, if you're not completely locked in uh, on your, your Rotowire NBA alerts, you might have missed some of this stuff. Uh, but we'll begin with Lonzo Ball on uh, a bit of a somber note oh, here. Yeah. It's not looking good, man. I mean, the report from today that they're officially going to shut him down for the season – Not a surprise at all. I think within like two months when he was making no progress, if not negative progress, it became pretty clear that he wasn't going to play this year. Uh, But of course we get the official word today. And I mean, I was, it's funny, like an an hour after this news came out, I see Brandon Roy trending on Twitter and I'm like, Oh, I wonder what (laughs) happened. Maybe he like got a coaching job or something. And no, it was because people were comparing Lonzo ball to Brandon, Roy.
2: It's, it's starting to look like that. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not just that Lonzo, is hurt this season, right? It's that he's just never been healthy throughout his career. The most games he's ever played in a season, 2019, 20, was 63 games. Um, and yeah, this knee stuff is looking bad. You know, they, 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 it sounds like they just kind of don't know what's wrong. They don't know why he's still feeling pain, why he's not making as much progress as they hoped. And you have to think like, Oh, even if he comes back next year and plays, you know, he's still an injury prone guy in general. So I, it's it's kind of hard to project his career from here on out.
1: It is, and I think if we're being realistic about it, from a, an analysis standpoint, from a fantasy standpoint, it's pretty bleak. Like there is not a a lot of precedent for somebody dealing with a chronic injury, uh, even this early in a career, and you know, kind of moving past it and being a guy who plays in eighty percent of games going forward. So I, I don't want to be too doom and gloom and be like, oh, his career is over. Um, but I mean, it, it tracks really closely to what happened with Brandon Roy, who missed you know, the entire 2010-11, or excuse me, 2011-12 season. Uh, you know, came back was, was with the Timberwolves at that point. Played in five games the next year. Never played in the NBA again. So it, it, it's an apt comparison. It, it sucks that we're even in this situation. Um, but like you like you mentioned, it's not like he had a clean bill of health even before this. You know, he had the ankle issues, which I. I honestly think traces back to the big baller brand shoes. I'm going to be honest um, <laughs> with the Lakers, you know, was missing time with the Pelicans, but it's rough because even despite all that, like he, it felt like every year he had this derailment injury, like right as he was starting to play well, uh, an injury would come. But even in spite of that, he, he was still making progress year to year. I mean, last season before he went down 35 games, 13 points, five and a half rebounds, five assists, almost two steals per game. He, he yep. was close to the league, league in steals. 3.1 made threes per game for a guy who was a terrible three-point shooter when he came into the league. Um, you know, the, the free throw percentage and the free throw volume were always going to be an issue. I think that was going to be the biggest pitfall, but he was turning himself into a really unique and really fun to watch player prior to all of this. So I, I hope he gets back. You know, we, we have better metal to- medical technology now than we did even a decade ago when Brandon Roy was going through this, but it's, it's really hard not to kind of invoke that comparison.
2: I agree, and he was he was settling into that sort of fourth option role. The Bulls were, I mean, the Bulls were twenty two and thirteen when he played um, last year, right? And we talk about how much the Bulls are struggling now, and I'm not saying Lonzo Ball is is like the key to all their problems, but that that was a significant. He's a significantly, he's a really impactful player when he's out there, when he's in that like fourth option role. He's just facilitating. He's hitting threes. He's playing great defense. So, it sucks for Lonzo. Sucks for the Bulls.
1: I don't think the bulls are a, a healthy Lonzo away from being a title contender, but it, it totally changes the calculus for them. Right. I mean, it, it they feel like I think more of a disappointment and I don't think I, when I think of the bulls, I don't even think of Lonzo ball and that's, it's a big absence. You know, if they had him, they're probably better than the 11th team in the East. Now, are they the third best team in the East with Lonzo? No, but they're, they're definitely better than, you know, potentially missing the play in and handing like a top seven pick to the Orlando magic, which could very well happen by the way. I mean, they're, they're, their pick this year goes to Orlando if it's not in the top four. Uh, So they're on the verge of of kind of a disaster situation. And I I think this is one of the underrated parts of it. They did bring in Patrick Beverly today as a buyout. I don't really think that matters, you know, kind of feels like a a hail Mary type of move. Although obviously Patrick Beverly is nowhere near the level of player who really impacts your bottom line. Uh, So I, I don't have a lot to say there. I assume you don't either. The, the bigger buyout news from this week, Russell Westbrook signing with the Clippers, Man. Oh man. I do not understand this. If I'm the Clippers, this, like this is a high risk, extremely low reward move. Like what is, what is the, what is the payoff here? I, I guess they're
2: hoping that his relationship with Paul George runs deep enough to where I hate, like, I hate using these terms, but like to keep Westbrook in check, you know what I mean? Um, but if he couldn't figure it out in LA, you know, I saw people that meme from Arrested Development was trending, um, where people are like, Well, uh, other people tried it and it didn't work out for them, but maybe it'll work out for us. Um, I and I don't know. I mean it's it's confusing too, right? Because they clearly love Terrence Mann. They were holding Terrence Mann out of all these trade offers because they think he's, you know, this ex- extremely crucial mm-hmm. part of the team. And I don't know if his minutes decrease when Westbrook's When Westbrook comes in, because otherwise, and they just brought in Bones Highland, you know, like, are you just getting of? and Eric Gordon? So where are these minutes coming from? Like, is Bones Highland just out of the rotation? Is Eric Gordon playing 15 minutes a game now? Norman Powell, like they have minutes available, but they're mostly front court minutes between like Marcus Morris, Batum, guys like that.
1: They don't really have too many backcourt minutes available. Yeah, we were saying this after the deadline when they brought in those three guys, even before Westbrook, that they have they have too many guys who expect to play. Um, and, you know, they they did get rid of Reggie Jackson, which it frees up some space, but they still essentially did, you know, one out four in. Uh, and, you know, John Wall, you could say they got rid of him, but he hasn't even been playing for the last month plus. Uh, you know, I guess Luke Kennard was sent out again. I, these are all just kind of lateral moves to me. I mean, they still have like 12 guys who expect to play every night. And that's like not even counting Robert Covington, who for a lot of teams would be like the seventh or eighth guy. Uh, I I don't like it at all. I, I think the thing with Westbrook compared to someone like Patrick Beverly, for example, or, you know, Dennis Schroeder guys like he was, you know, the, the other guards he was with in LA is like, you have to play Russell Westbrook. We've, we've seen like teams have tried to not play him. They've tried to reduce his role. It's just not an option. Like that becomes untenable really quickly. And the fact that he chose the Clippers over, over some other options, leads me to believe that some promises were made. So, you know, like, I, I think ideally you could say, well, if it doesn't work, then we'll just bench him or we'll play him 12 minutes off the bench every night. Like, I just don't think that's an option with Westbrook. like, there's this, because of his stature, and because of his history, there's this obligation that he has to be a key piece for this team. And as we've seen year after year now, like that is not a winning recipe. I just, I don't understand this at all. No, I bet they're thinking, hey, we'll try it. If it doesn't work out, we'll just cut him. Yeah, and I that, guess, that- yeah. That's a, that is true. I mean, it, it could be an option. I just, yeah, I, I don't see the season ending with like the Clippers winning the title and Russell Westbrook, like not playing at all in the finals. Like it, they're going to go down one way or the other, um, you know, with Westbrook as a part of this, but yeah, man, the, the, the Paul George friendship, like it must, it must run really deep from that one year uh, in Oklahoma city because man, what a, what a risk for the Clippers. I just, I don't see how this is any different than John wall uh, in a lot of ways and potentially more damaging, but anyway, we'll, we'll get into the Clippers later. Uh, We're going to talk some futures. We're going to have a piece going up uh, on the site either today or tomorrow, kind of doing a round table, highlighting uh, some of our favorite futures bets. uh, If we were to place them right now for the rest of the way, but uh, I want to hit some other kind of mostly injury updates. You know, there's a handful of players who, as we get closer to the all-star break, it became clear that they weren't going to come back. And, you know, typically, with the extra rest and you know the, the all-star break, just being a benchmark, you do see a lot of guys come back afterward. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, not necessarily one of those guys. We, I, it feels like forever since we've even talked about Towns and, you know, there was the initial hope that he would come back a few weeks before the break. Still don't really have a timetable. Sounds like mid to late March at best, but man, I mean, this is, this is getting to the point where it's, it's almost Steph Curry, like where, I mean, he might come back and play eight to 12 games before the end of the season. We're talking about a guy who hasn't played since Thanksgiving.
2: I I think the hope for them is that he's a hundred percent healthy just by when the playoffs start. Now, I mean, they're, they're 31 and 30. I mean, they're just in that mix, right. Of the Western conference. Basically that's like the four through 13, essentially in the Western conference that's separated by four losses. So, I mean, they, they're not guaranteed to make the playoffs, but yeah, I mean, even if he comes back in mid March, you have to assume the long layoff. It's a lower body injury. It's a calf injury, so he's going to be ramped up. I mean, I'd be shocked if he was playing 35 minutes a game like before April.
1: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And you know, this is a team that obviously got rid of one of its offensive weapons, in DeAngelo Russell, before the break. Uh, it's like this is like really good news for the Lakers. You know, I, I think if you're you're trying to hunt down a couple teams to get into the play in. I uh, think Carl Anthony towns missing more time is, is probably a good thing there. Uh, but yeah, I, I really have no idea what the timetable is going to be. And fantasy wise, this is going to be what his third, essentially lost season in the last four.
2: Uh, yeah, pretty much. I, um, I mean, 2020 yeah, wasn't
1: quite as disastrous, but I mean, close.
2: Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, and this was a guy too, who he, before that was like an iron man played like 82 every season.
1: Yeah, very weird. I mean, first three years in the league, 82, 82, 82, and then 77 has uh, just been a, a complete turnaround from there. Uh, should get Kelly Oubre back, I would imagine, maybe right after the All-Star break, if not uh, a few games later. Um, and I know he was lighting it up for a couple of your fantasy teams early on. I, I thought he might get traded. I think maybe the injury just kind of wore off some of his fantasy value, what didn't seem to be a ton of interest there at the deadline, but he has not played since mid-January. Uh, Cody Martin, another guy who's like barely played at all this year. He's played in seven games this entire season, uh, was kind of a, I wouldn't call him quite a sleeper, but I, I think when you projected out the rotation, it's like, all right, he played 70 plus games last year, played almost 27 minutes a game. Um, you know, he was a guy that people were grabbing at the end of drafts under the hope that he would take a step forward. I, I, I guess, you I mean, you, once he's back, you could take a, a late season speculative flyer, but I, I don't really know if there's a ton of upside there.
2: I mean, he was a, he was a deep league guy last year he yeah. ranked 169th per game. I'm in a 30 team dynasty league and I'm starting him in that league because you just start your you set your starting lineups, and you don't you don't change them for the whole year. So I kind of got screwed <laughs> You set your there. starting
1: lineup every 5 years.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it literally you set it every year. Um and then it just is what it is, so I kind of got screwed there, but yeah, I mean, especially if, you know, Gorgon Hayward's always hurt, who knows how much, you know, Terry Rozier could come up with a phantom injury. Stuff like that, I mean, given the place in the standing. So, yeah, if you're in a deep enough league, there's a chance Martin ends up being a legit value at some point.
1: Yeah, big time. I, I think you're you're right about Rozier. I have no idea what the Hornets are going to do the rest of the way, and I think it's going to be really interesting how those four teams jockey for three spots because there's now there's a pretty clear bottom four. Like, Orlando was in that territory for a while, and, I mean, Magic have been playing pretty well. I mean, they've been a top-five defense Over the last three weeks before the break, uh, they're now like seven and a half games clear of the Hornets, uh, for, for 13th in the East. So it's Charlotte, Detroit, San Antonio, and Houston. All those teams are within a a handful of games of each other. And I mean, there's, there's pretty significant, uh, rationale to, to try to get into that bottom three. I mean, we're we're talking about a matter of percentage points and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but when your season is lost, like it's going to be a pretty big deal. So I, I think towards the end of the year would not be surprised whatsoever, uh, if we see some shenanigans and it feels like we've already seen that from San Antonio, Houston and Detroit. Like Charlotte is the team that has the most veterans. I think who could potentially be impacted.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um see, Gordon Hayward is four years older than anybody else left on this Charlotte Ooh. roster after they trade. Well, yeah. I,
1: I forget about him sometimes that he's even on this team, but yeah, I mean, even like Rozier would be, would he be the best player on those other three teams? Um, I think so, right? I mean, yeah. he's, he's in the, he's at at the very least yeah. very much in the discussion. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it just feels like when you're talking about these other teams like strip mining their rotation the rest of the way, it's like, what else could Detroit really do? It's like, I don't think, I don't think benching Jaden Ivy, you know, changes your fortunes at all. It's like he's played in almost every game and you have 15 wins. Spurs have just been this team all year. Houston, you know, you're losing a ton of games with Jalen Green anyway. So, yeah, the, the Hornets are the team I would worry most. Uh, about guys that you've been able to depend on, uh, at least until this point.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
4: are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
1: Uh, I want to talk about the Pistons. No, no major injury situations here. Uh, you know, Marvin Bagley, New Orleans Noel, they've been out for a while. Bagley, especially, you know, should see some minutes down the stretch, but, uh, how do you think the, the Duran Wiseman, Bagley, and I guess Isaiah Stewart uh, situation shakes out here?
2: Uh, first of all, I've said this before. I'm really excited for the Killian Hayes, Marvin Bagley, James Wiseman lineups. Those cannot come soon enough. Um, yeah, so in, in Wiseman's debut, he plays 23 minutes. Duran plays 24 minutes. Um, and Stewart uh, plays 26 minutes. So, I mean, Great. my guess is that's kind of how it's going to go. But then when Bagley comes back, I mean, the thing is, they got rid of Sadiq Bay. So, I don't know if they're going to pull a Sacramento and be like, we'll play Bagley at the three. We don't care. Um, but, you know, Bojan's going to sit out some games. I mean, I don't know if this is like Isaiah Livers is just out.
1: It's that's I don't really know
2: how it's going to shake out.
1: I don't think anybody does. I, I think you're right. I would not be shocked if we see Bagley at the three. I think that would be uh horrific for a number of reasons but I also don't think the Pistons care if they lose like what's what's on the line here if anything you want to be losing games so yeah I, I think that's very possible and I I, I mean I think Wiseman's gonna play I don't I I didn't grab him anywhere in fantasy I, did you after the deadline no I didn't um I I watched the, I watched his
2: possessions in the Boston game and he looked like he he looked like somebody had like you know he had been like starving and someone just gave him like a bunch of food like he was out there just like (laughs) running around playing like crazy basketball like someone gave him the opportunity to finally play and he just went out there crazy and you know he got 11 and five in nine minutes but he seemed like kind of jittery almost um but i mean again a guy his size with his athleticism if you gave him 26 minutes a game he's just gonna again he's just gonna get you fantasy relevant numbers That's how big men work.
1: There will definitely be nights and weeks where I regret not picking him up. Um, I'm just kind of willing to live with that much like Jalen Duran, right? Where every other night it's like, what He you 13 and 19. And then the next night he'll have like 4.6 rebounds and five fouls. So it's going to be really high variance. You know, if, if you're, if you're in need of rebounds, especially, I guess that's what I'd be targeting most. I mean, the shot blocking should come at some point, but I don't see him being like a high volume shot blocker the rest of the way. And, you know, you're just going to have to live with a lot of ups and downs. Uh, In Memphis, Steven Adams could be back after the break. This is one that we'll be watching pretty closely the next couple days when teams start resuming practice. I haven't really had an update on him since the the initial diagnosis, PCL sprain, three to five weeks. That was January 24th. So it'll be exactly a month on Friday. Uh, No guarantee that he plays in their next game. Uh, They actually play Thursday at Philly. I would say probably unlikely that he plays. We probably would have had some sort of update by now. Uh, But I I would think Steven Adams is back in action within the next couple of weeks. Pretty big deal from a a rebounding perspective. Uh, Memphis has also just struggled as a team without him, but career high 11 and a half boards per game uh, through the first 42. He's a monster on the offensive glass and obviously as a screener as well. I mean,
2: everybody's talking about the impact that he has uh, on the boards and getting the team extra possessions, but not having that that presence as a screener for John Morant, Desmond Bain and guys like that is, is obviously huge. Um, for their team. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's up there with Jaron Jackson in terms of like their, their most impactful on off guys, like Jaron Jackson's Mm -hmm. plus 13 on off Steven Adams plus nine. So it's not too surprising that, that they're struggling. Even, you know, even if like last year there were matchups in the playoffs where he just like, couldn't play uh, just being able to have the option of that guy and play him when it matters or just in the regular season. Like it's really impactful.
1: Yeah. He's found ways to be effective. I mean, it felt like two or three years ago, you know, not that he was going to be like out of the league or anything, but you know, he was just kind of an older school center, but he's, he's really found ways to be effective um, in Memphis with the Bucks, I, I expect that Giannis will miss at least a few games coming out of the break. Did you feel the same way?
2: That would not be surprising. I mean, just the fact that he had to go to New York to get yeah. testing in the first place. Uh, yeah. That's there's going to be more games missed. I assume.
1: Yeah. I, I would be very surprised if he plays, uh, I think they're off till Friday uh, home against the heat. I, yeah, I I think he'll miss two to three games. You know, that's just a guess coming out of the break and then it will probably be pretty touch and go going forward. I mean, I I guess in theory, once the wrist is healed, there's no real reason to like load manage a wrist injury. Uh, but it's still, you know, for a guy who was already going to be handled pretty carefully down the stretch, uh, not great news, you know, wouldn't be surprised if they, they kind of build in some rest. I, I don't think like Milwaukee, it'd be good to have the one seed, especially if you think that it's going to be Boston, Milwaukee, in the East finals. So I'm going to be interested to see how much they really push for that, how much they care. Uh, But they're, they're obviously going to prioritize Giannis's health over the one seed. Uh, No question about that. Jay Crowder should see him on Friday against Miami. I I have pretty low expectations. I mean, fantasy wise, I don't really consider him at all. Uh, For one, I don't think he's going to play enough minutes Two, his his game at this point. is just not that fantasy friendly, Uh, but you know, this is all about the playoffs, right? You're just kind of hoping that he gives you 80% 80% of what PJ Tucker did on the defensive end, uh, the year they won the title.
2: Right. I mean, he would need almost 30 minutes a game to be relevant in fantasy anyway. And you're, it's a playoff thing. It's a matchups thing. You're going up against a bigger team. You want someone to guard Tatum or another one of these guys. That's what you have Crowder for.
1: With the New York Knicks, uh, Mitchell Robinson, uh, apparently he was on good day, New York, uh, some sort of TV program at the end of January, and implied that probably won't be back right after the all-star break. Sounds like it'll be closer to the end of the month, um, which you know is only a handful of days away, but uh, this one could bleed into into March. Wouldn't be super surprising. I mean, the Knicks have played well without him for the most part. The defense has definitely slipped. Uh, I think that's to be expected with Mitchell Robinson, but I, I think it's going to be a really fun team whenever he yeah. comes back. And it, it might be two or three more weeks, but they've been getting by with, with Jericho Sims, Isaiah Hartenstein, but they'll, they'll be in pretty good shape here. I mean, he could go, Robinson, Randall, Barrett, Grimes, Brunson, Hart as your top six. Um, with some fun guys coming off the bench. I again, I don't I don't think the Knicks are are a title team, but I don't know, it's it's conceivable that they could get as high as like the four seed in the East.
2: Yeah, I mean, I they're they're they've constructed a very high floor, low ceiling team, trading for Josh Hart once they get Mitchell Robinson back. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna be really impactful for them. Um, you know, I mean, as much as I like Hartenstein, he just doesn't look that good this year. Jericho Sims is like just an athlete. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, in the first round, they're probably going to end up playing what? They might play Cleveland. They might play Brooklyn, Miami, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I mean, I they're not going to get past Cleveland. But if they match up against Brooklyn, Miami, or Atlanta, I can conceivably see them getting into the second round.
1: Oh, yeah. I, th- I think ideally, you know, they... Well, it's tough because like if, if they get the five you know, you're probably assuming they play the Cavs and you know, maybe they could pull that upset. They won't be favored if they're playing Philly, Milwaukee, or Boston. Probably not. Uh, so they, they don't necessarily have a path to like an advantageous first round matchup, but I also don't think you're going to want to play them. Um, you could say the same thing about, about Miami as a seven. It's like, if if you're Milwaukee and you're, you're the two, you got to play Miami in round one. Like, I don't know. I, I think typically those, those seven and eights, uh, especially in the East have tended to be quite a bit weaker. Like you'd, you'd rather play Atlanta, Washington, even Toronto. Um, uh, in the West, the Phoenix Suns, Kevin Durant, obviously the name we're keeping an eye on. Uh, the, the reports over the weekend were that he hopes to play soon after the All Star break. So to to me, that means that I I don't know that he plays this coming Friday against OKC. Uh, then they're on the road at Milwaukee, at Charlotte, at Chicago, four game road swing uh, that goes all the way through next weekend. Uh, no really, no real idea on KD, but uh, you know, fantasy wise, it's going to be a, a kind of a push and pull where they, they want to get as many games as possible with KD to, to get acclimated with his new teammates. But at the same time could definitely see him sitting back to backs the rest of the way, uh, you know, getting some load management as we near the very end.
2: I assume, yeah, he'll be out back to backs. I assume there will be some games that they straight up punt that, you know, Durant's out. And then they're like, well, we may as well rest Chris Paul as well. Um, you know, and I think if you roster Chris Paul in fantasy, you gotta be a little, wor- little worried about, extra rest days for him down the stretch now that they have Durant available. And um, I just don't think Chris Paul is going to try to score anymore. (laughs) I think think Chris Paul is going to take it as easy as possible into the playoffs. I think that's a benefit of getting Kevin Durant. Um, At the same time, I mean, I'm sure they would like to climb up the standings at least a little bit, right? To avoid some sort of uh, first round matchup. Not that you're necessarily scared of anybody except Memphis and, and Denver, right? Maybe Clippers. Yeah, I, I think State, if you're the Suns, you feel pretty be... good.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you really had the luxury of, of kind of picking your matchup. I guess those, you know, the three through really all the way down to like 11 are, are so stacked up right now that you can make ground pretty quickly. I, you know, catching catching Memphis with like 23 games left is going to be tough. Uh, you know, especially with, with Adams coming back. And obviously they haven't played that well of late. But yeah, I, I think if you just get into the top three, you feel pretty good. At least you give yourself home court. Uh, But there's not like I mean, there's not like an easy matchup necessarily like Clippers, Suns, Mavericks, Pelicans, Warriors. You know, like I I think all those teams could make a case for why they wouldn't want to play the other team. I agree. Uh, I'm looking at you you brought up Chris Paul. I'm looking at 2015-16 Rajon Rondo game logs. We might see some of those games like three points, 18 assists, three steals for Chris Paul. Uh, yeah, I, I that's kind of what I'm expecting down the stretch. Yeah, I think this is great for him. He doesn't seem that interested in scoring or shooting anyway, and now he will not really ever have to do that. Uh, a couple more injuries I want to get to, and then we'll talk futures. Yusuf Nurkic in Portland. Uh, I haven't seen him for a few weeks. I Think all along the the idea was that he would hopefully be back after the All Star break. I I'm, I'm doing it again with Nurkic. I haven't been stake. I have been another league. It you know the highs are high. He still every now and then has one of those huge you know, games where he has like three or four steals and gets a couple blocks and hits threes. But it's been really, really shaky. Uh, he was playing through an injury for a while before he started sitting out, it was getting really ugly. And I have no idea where Portland's going the rest of the way here. It, it kind of felt like in some ways they they waved the white flag, but obviously you still have Lillard. Um, you know, Anthony Simons is injured coming out of the break. We, we don't know for sure that Nurkic will, will start playing right away. So they're another team like Minnesota that I think if you're the Lakers, you're, you're eyeing what's happening in Portland and, and feeling good about it.
2: I think so, yeah. Um, Nurkic is man. Nurkic is just. I want to draft him every year. I, this year, I finally held off,
1: and um, I'm happy about that. It's yeah, it's so frustrating because and and health aside, he hasn't really been a major bust. Like he's averaging 14, nine and a half, three assists. Uh, you know, the free throw percentage is is kind of a killer, although he doesn't take that many. Uh, but yeah, I mean the, the missed time that's kind of become the bigger thing for him. Uh, and the fact that he also doesn't play that many minutes when healthy, like even when he's rolling his best games come in like 27, 28 minutes.
2: Right. It's, it's very bizarre. Um, I'm sure they would love to give off his contract. I just don't think they have any takers or well, they didn't this year, but not for going real forward, value. No,
1: no. Uh, all right. We'll finish up with Toronto. OG Ananobi and Gary Trent were both injured before the all-star break. Uh, Trent didn't miss quite as much time. Um, he missed the last two only. I I would imagine that he'll be back. Was just dealing with a calf strain. Uh, Ananobi has not played since January 27th. So if he comes back later this week, they play Thursday against the Pelicans. That'll be close to a full month for him. Haven't had an update in a while. I mean, before the break, he was not yet practicing. So still no guarantee that Ananobi will be back right away, but, uh, returns to a, an even more crowded Raptors rotation. Not, not that it'll necessarily affect him, but I think Trent and Pirtle, uh and, and by association, Precious Achua are the guys could, that could end up getting squeezed when they're at full strength.
2: It's tough. I mean, first of all, I wish we would get some concrete information on when he might be back. He wasn't, he wasn't even practicing like before the break. Um, right. So that, that was tough. And then, yeah, I just, I, I was looking at their projections today, trying to figure out like rest of season, you know, when their full rotation is healthy, how could the minutes shake out? And, You know, before Ananobi got hurt, Precious Achua was seeing 20 minutes a game. So is he going to, is Achua going to go back to seeing 20 minutes a game? You know, because they didn't even have Pirtle then. And so it's kind of hard to figure out exactly how things are going to shake out. It's like, does Boucher start playing like nine minutes a game? It's, it's really hard to figure out. I mean, I don't think you have to panic if you have Achua or Pirtle, but something, something has to give in that rotation. Unless, you know, nurse stops playing these guys 38, 39 minutes, like his starters, which I don't know if that's going to happen. Cause they probably think with this purple edition that they're like, well, let's go for it. Let's, let's make the playoffs. Let's, let's get a first round. Uh, let's try to make it past the first round somehow.
1: All right. With the trade deadline in the rear view, the back half of the NBA season is upon us. And unfortunately your fantasy team looks like it might be tanking for Victor Wemenyama. Uh, We got your plan B right here. It's called swagger. Swagger is daily fantasy for all fan kind. Swagger is the most player-friendly DFS site in the game, created for sports fans who simply want some skin in the game and a real shot at winning. Here's how it works: pick two to ten player props and score points for the picks you get right. Win a cash prize based on your score. Not the perfect ticket. I repeat, you don't need a perfect ticket to win. Even if you get one or two or sometimes half of your ticket wrong, you could still walk away with cash in your bankroll. Swagger has payouts up to 50X and sometimes even higher, depending on your picks. With hundreds of props for you to play, you can build any ticket with any number of players across multiple sports. Play NBA props along with NFL, MLB, NHL, all the top soccer leagues, golf, tennis, motorsports, whatever tickles your fancy. Swagger's got it available. Ready to play? Go to playwithswagger.com to sign up and choose promo code ROTOWIRE10. That's ROTOWIRE10, T O. W I R E 10 from the dropdown swagger will drop a free $10 into your account to get started. Plus they'll match your first deposit 100% up to a hundred bucks swagger. It's daily fantasy for all fan kind. All right, let's talk some futures here. Uh, I'll I'll turn it over to you. I'll kind of let you just discuss what we're, what we're doing for the article on the site. You know, not that it's this crazy detailed thing, but, uh, you're putting it together and, uh, I'm not sure how many responses you've gotten yet, but, Uh, We could go into the the ones that we have written down and then any other interesting uh, futures bets that, that you've come across or that have been submitted to you.
2: Yeah. The article is just as simple as, you know, give me your favorite futures bets for the rest of the season. And so we're going to compile those and that should be up on the site tomorrow. Uh, Maybe late afternoon kind of depends on uh, what there is to do and how many people send me responses, but um, it's, it's just as simple as that your favorite values for the rest of the year. do you want to kick things off with your one of your favorites?
1: Yeah, so I sent you, I think, four of them yesterday. And I might send a few more. Uh, you know, always, There's just so many options. Uh, I use the DraftKings Sportsbook, but you, know, you could look pretty much anywhere uh, and find a, a pretty wide variety. Uh, these are in no order, but I'll, I'll start in the order that I sent them to you. The Brooklyn Nets to participate in the play-in tournament is plus 350. So kind of a niche bet. Uh, obviously not a bet that's been available for very long because we've only had the playing tournament for a few years. But uh, I, I think the general expectation is that the Nets take a step back uh, over when we're talking a six, seven, eight-week sample without KD and Kyrie. Uh, they look pretty feisty. You know, they still have some interesting pieces w- without those two guys, but probably take a step back. The question is, are the Knicks or Heat or Hawks or whoever good enough to leapfrog them? Because they're sitting in fifth right now. I don't see them climbing any higher. So basically you just need one of those teams to to push the nets into that six through 10 range. So I'm kind of surprised this is at plus three fifty, And I I don't think the implication is that they could fall all the way out of the play in range because there's like a eight and a half game gap between the nets and the 11 seed Chicago bulls. So I I guess the biggest liability here is that they just stay in fifth place or somehow pass the Cavaliers for fourth. But to me, it's more likely that over the course of these final 24 games that they get eclipsed by a team like New York or Miami.
2: Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I what they've built is is sort of interesting. Obviously, like what they have left, I guess, is the way to put it. You know, like Bridges had a monster game the other day, and um, you know, Dinwiddie's been good all year. But I, I'm, I think, like you mentioned, they'll kind of start to slowly slip down the standings. And I think you're getting plus three fifty for them to be in the playing tournament. I, I think that's fair, especially because they won't be gunning for it in the same way. I don't, I don't think the the other teams below them will.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just kind of how things will naturally go for them. Like they'll be a, they'll be a fun team, you know. If they maybe they go five hundred the rest of the way, I think that would be fine. Uh, and you know, if the Knicks go three games over five hundred the rest of the way, then they they eclipse them by one game. So I just, uh, I I guess yeah, I'm I'm just surprised that this is at plus three fifty or the you know, the implication to me is that they'll they'll stay there in fifth. But that's that's just surprising given how much change has has been on that roster.
2: Right. Um. So my first my first favorite future. Uh coming out of the all star break. It's pretty straight up. It's just Jaron Jackson Jr. for defensive player of the year, which is minus 155. You're not even really laying that much juice to get this. Who I think like I think I think Triple J is like definitively the favorite at this point. I mean, it kind of reminds me of last year there was a point in the season where it was just so clear that Tyler Hero was gonna win sixth man of the year. And I don't think his odds reflected that very well, just just like this. I mean if we're talking about the other guys who are even in this discussion for defensive player of the year, but guys whose odds are shorter than plus a thousand it's Brooke Lopez, bam out and Nick Claxton. And some of this is just eliminating these other guys. It's like, you know, Lopez, he is a good case, right? He's anchoring the number one defense in the NBA, but the difference between the number one and the number two defense, which is Memphis is barely anything. And at some point, it's just a numbers game. Like, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is at 4.4 stocks per game. Lopez is at 2.9. And it's like, yeah, okay. After that, it's like we're talking about Adebayo. Like he's more versatile than Jaron Jackson, but 1.2 steals, 0. 0.8 blocks. Miami's defense isn't as good. And then as far as Claxton goes, like who is voting for Nick Claxton at this point for defensive player of the year? Like average, de- average defense for Brooklyn. It's like, it's just no one... At this point, with all the trades that have happened, they're just Brooklyn's like out of the discussion for anything.
1: Claxton at plus 750 should be illegal. That like nobody should bet that at all. I, if, I if there's most improved defensive player of the year, sure that that's almost that almost seems like what the case would be for him, but yeah, he no, he's not winning it. Uh, I mean, Lopez, I, I think the case against him is he splits credit with Giannis and in Memphis, Jared Jackson splits the credit with nobody, if anything. You know, we talk about John Morant not being a plus defender and Stephen Adams being a difficult fit. Like, I, I think Jared Jackson kind of gets the credit for bringing everybody together and making that a good defense. Uh, And Lopez does the same thing. But you know, Giannis is also one of the best defensive player uh, defensive players in the league as well. So I think that that kind of you know takes some of the case away from Lopez. But now I, I think you're good on that. I, I, I like Jared Jackson. I mean, I, you know, you're, you're not talking ten to one here, but uh, that there's pretty good value there. And I, I think he. He at least has a definitive lead. Like I, I think unless he gets hurt, he's winning the award.
2: Yeah. That's how I feel.
1: Uh, I have the Milwaukee bucks to win the finals at six to one. Don't have a, a lot to say about this. I mean, we've, we've talked about finals odds all the time. Um, I just, I, I think the bucks and the Celtics are almost equal. There's a reason they're separated by half game right now. I think it's a matter of personal preference, which team you favor, whether it's the, the more I think, the high-level depth with Boston. You know, having guys like like Derek White and, and Malcolm Brogdon uh, on that uh, on that bench, as opposed to a Milwaukee team that has a little bit more of a top-heavy approach. Uh, I think you, if you if you're taking who's the best player between those teams, it's Giannis. If it's who's the better roster overall, maybe it's Boston. Uh, but you know, you're getting Boston at like plus two fifty, plus two seventy, and you can get Milwaukee at six to one. So to me, if you view those teams as equal, I will happily bet the team that has twice as good of odds.
2: Yeah, I think um, six to one just feels good for a team with as much experience as Milwaukee, and um, you know, I, I we had Barner on um, for uh, for the podcast on Friday, and you know, he liked looking at the the like finals matchups, and I think his his were from FanDuel, but he had like Bucks Suns as the finals, which I think was like plus eight fifty or something, and we'll I thought like that was that. pretty nice as yeah, like that's nice as well, so. I think you're right on. I mean, I I'm not too worried about Youngest's wrist or anything. That the Middleton knee stuff is, that's that's what's starting to give me a little bit pause about. Uh, uh, in terms of the Bucks winning the title, is just I mm-hmm. I really would like to see Middleton play 30 minutes a game for like four games.
1: I, I like to see him start a game too. Has there <laughs> ever has anybody ever gone this long without starting? He's played in like what 15 games now, and, he, and he's still not starting. It's just weird.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit of a concern. So I understand. Like I still I, I would like to think that's kind of baked into the value because I think otherwise the Bucks would be shorter odds. So yeah. I think sort of that speculation is what's making them plus six hundred.
1: That uh that barter bet that you mentioned, I, I don't see that on DraftKings. However, you could parlay the Bucks to win the East and the Suns to win the West, and that gets you to plus nine seventy two. Okay. Yeah. So
2: that's basically the equivalent. I mean yeah, that's exactly that's really that's hard data. to argue
1: with. Um, yeah, I that would be my pick for sure. So, yeah, I like that a lot.
2: Uh, my next bet is the Oklahoma City Thunder to make the playoffs at plus 450. I think um, I, I did my reg up for this and I kind of ended up on this tangent, but I think people are scared to bet the Thunder because of this idea that they're going to tank, right? And I don't think, I just don't think that makes sense anymore to think like that. Like, I think... The, the past two years that they tanked, they were horrible to start the year. They were not good. The Thunder this year have been good the entire season. And I just, I, I think people have this idea of the Thunder where it's like, they're going to be a 25 win team. And then suddenly they're going to be a 50 win team. Like, like Sam Presti is going to puppet master this thing where they're going to be garbage for three years straight. And then suddenly they're going to be a title contender. Like at some point, isn't it just likely that your team is good? Like, aren't you just some point in the process, you keep drafting good players. Like all all of us talk about how good these draft picks are at some point. They're just going to have a good team that wins like 40 to 45 games. And I think that's just what's happening this year. They're just good. And they've been actually getting better. I looked up their stats since January. They have the third highest point differential since January. They're playing at a 59 win pace since the calendar went to 2023. So, like, my argument is, like, put aside that we're talking about, you know, like, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and you have to think about that you're getting a team right now that is essentially 500, that's playing at a 59-win pace since January, and you're getting them at plus 450 to make the playoffs, Mm -hmm. and they have the fifth easiest schedule remaining. So I think they're just going to go for it. Like, I have no reason to, like, I don't know why they would tank. They're just out of they're not going to catch those bottom teams. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you just put the team name aside and all that, and just sort of gave people the stats that they'd be like, plus 450, my God.
1: Well, I mean, to clarify, I assume this means that they, if they're in the play-in zone, they have to, they have to make the field of eight teams, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah like, they, which,
2: yeah, well, which is possible. Well, I think you, if you have, you have to win the play-in, like you just right. have to end up in the playoffs.
1: Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like they, them, them just making the plan doesn't mean you win the bet. Correct. Yes. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify that, but no, I, I think you're on the right track. I think the blind resume argument is really strong with OKC. The only pushback that I would have is do they, you're right that they can't get into the bottom three. They can't get into the bottom four. I mean, they're like 15 games up on San Antonio and Houston. Like that's out the window there, but you know, could they finish with like the fifth worst record if they really wanted to? Yeah, they could. Is there any lingering doubt that they that they would want to do that or is that not worth it if you're not in that bottom three I
2: just I just don't think it's worth it like part of my argument is I think at some point again you're a good team now you should just try to make the playoffs and get these guys experience right like you want SGA to have that experience as a number one option you'd like Josh Giddy to get any playoff experience whatsoever same goes for you know Jalen Williams who looks legit so I, I think they should go for it in that way um and like you mentioned you know the odds are so flat that you're talking about um the difference between you know i actually have um the tankathon thing up right now yeah so do i like <laughs> like so they're in 13th right now which is 1% for the number 1 overall pick even if they tanked into like 8th somehow it goes up to 6% like i is there, like, is that 5% difference worth getting these
1: guys playoff experience. I I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it depends. I mean, the thing is they, they do have a path to get all the way up to like fifth or six. If they play really well, you know, they're, they're what two and a half games out of fifth. So I think that's part of the calculus too, is internally right. they're telling themselves like, look, I mean, screw the play in, we could get above the plan. Now that's unlikely. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on OKC finishing in the top five, but it's not, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. I and mean, there's a lot of variance with the teams ahead of them. Like, I mean, the teams in seventh, eighth, and ninth right now, New Orleans, Minnesota, golden state, like all three of those guys are, or all three of those teams are missing their best guy indefinitely. So yeah, right. I, I mean, they're, they're going to be in a good spot. I, I like this a lot. This is a good discussion on OKC. Uh, I have first time franchise to win an NBA title, meaning a team that's never won the title before wins the title. So you're getting a, a portfolio of teams here. You're buying like an ETF of uh, NBA title contenders, but basically you're getting the nuggets, the Suns, the Clippers, the Grizzlies, and the Pelicans, those are the actual like contenders or fringe contenders. And then you also get the Nets, Hornets, Pacers, T-Wolves, Magic, and Jazz, uh, which I, I'm interested that like OKC doesn't count here. I guess they're they're giving him the Sonics title yeah. in like 79. Um, but I, I, I guess I don't know how connected those franchises are. Anyway, the, the Thunder are winning the title. Um, but yeah, you're getting the Nuggets, Suns, Clippers, Grizzlies, Pelicans, essentially versus the field at plus money. And I think if a Western Conference team wins the finals, it's probably one of Phoenix, Denver, the Clippers or the Grizzlies. So I I thought this was okay value. I I wish it was, you know, a little bit higher into plus territory, but, you know, considering you're basically getting all the top teams in the West, I I think it makes sense.
2: Yeah. It's funny that there are no real Eastern Conference teams in contention for this. Um, Yeah. I thought so too. uh, Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't really argue with this. I mean, I, it's hard to say, whether this is like technically a great value. I have no idea on like how to sort of analyze that. But I again, if you're talking like just face value plus one thirty, I don't mind that. Again, the way you laid it out, Nuggets, Suns, Clippers, Grizzlies all feel like they have a legitimate chance this year. Mm-hmm. Pelicans are a fine long shot, although, you know, the Zion situation's bad. So yeah, plus one thirty, I think that's that's interesting. Especially, you know, it's a little bit of an oddball bet, but not in not in like a crazy way.
1: Yeah. I mean, the alternative of course, is just betting all these teams separately and you know, you could run the calculations on like how much you're putting into each separate bet. Um, it probably, I mean, especially if you think like the Clippers or the Grizzlies are going to win the title, it's like Memphis is 17 to one. It's like maybe you're better off just throwing $5 on that, uh, than, than a bet that's at plus plus one thirty. But you know, if you're looking to not have like seven different open bets and you just kind of want to consolidate I I thought that was a fun one to highlight. If nothing else.
2: It is. Yeah. Um, so I have two more, you have one more. Um, My next one is the Utah Jazz to finish with under 39 and a half wins. Uh, There's some juice on here at minus 135. So right now, Utah is 29 and 31, and they have 22 games left. So we need the Jazz to go 10 and 12 the rest of the year to hit this under, which is basically the pace that they've been playing at all year. Some of this also depends on, like, if you're a person who really likes what the Lakers did, like, if you think Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt are these, like, really nice additions for the Lakers and that if you're talking about the the Timberwolves thing that, like, Mike Conley is this, like, a significant upgrade over D'Lo, then you have to apply the sort of opposite reasoning to the Jazz and be like, the Jazz just lost three really, really, like, the Jazz lost three crucial rotation players. So, I just think you're taking the jazz. Like if you want the over on this, you're thinking the jazz are going to play at a better pace than they have all year after losing three rotation players. And I just don't think that's the case. I I just, I don't like that line of logic. So to me, this is just like, I, I love to take the under here.
1: Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, The pushback I would have is they have a very weird schedule, especially right after the break, they play the thunder, the spurs, the spurs, the thunder, the thunder, in five straight games, they play what OKC the four times over the last 22 games, uh, so there actually might be some correlation here, where if you're oh. betting OKC to make the playoffs and they go four and zero yeah. against the Jazz, you're, you're helping yourself. Uh, but yeah, they do play the Spurs three times. That's going to get dicey uh, if they they're going to have to really find ways to try to lose those games. Uh, they they play Orlando, but you know that's those teams have been pretty equal lately. They do play Charlotte. Uh, other than that, not a not a ton of cupcakes. Uh, pretty tough stretch. Uh, near the end of March, where they go Miami, Boston, Sacramento, Portland, Milwaukee, Sacramento, Phoenix in consecutive right. games. They still have to play the Celtics. Uh, they, they play the Lakers the last game of the year. That could be very meaningful. For the Lakers, they play them again in game 79. So, yeah, I, I think when you look through the schedule on balance, this makes a lot of sense. Obviously, it's going to be close. I don't, I don't see you winning or losing this one by more than like a game or two tops. Uh, but I, I like that. And, you know, the same question I asked you about OKC – Is Utah the team that maybe tries to stealthily make its way down to like the fifth or sixth best lottery odds? Yeah, I mean,
2: I would, I'd actually would believe in Utah doing that more than OKC because OKC, again, is a team that they've been getting better. Like OKC is playing better lately. You would think that if they wanted to pull back, they would have done it a while ago. And the Jazz have just been kind of hovering around 500 all year and actually made the moves to tank training all these guys right like the the thunder didn't do anything they moved muscala um so i yeah i think the jazz are a team where especially because their roster is so thin we just talked at the top of the show that they signed frank jackson and chris dunn to 10-day contracts which tells you exactly what sort of territory their their backcourt is in right now i mean if you look at their depth chart it's just it's awful like past their starters they got nobody coming off their bench so you know if organically or, or manufactured if marketing or Clarkson miss any games, it's going to be, it's going to be really rough for them.
1: Yeah. Those guys are both shut down candidates. Probably not till the end of the year. I could totally see marketing Clarkson, um, you know, sitting like the last week and a half of the season, uh, especially if there is real draft positioning on the line. Uh, but yeah, I like that one a lot. Uh, my last one that I sent you is Mike Brown to take home coach of the year. And he's at plus two forty. And I noted in my write-up that I'm kind of split between Mike Brown and Michael Malone, who's at plus 260. So not, not really a big difference in value, but they're two completely different cases. I, I think the, the case for Michael Malone is coach of the best team and potentially the three-time defending MVP. Uh, and, and right now, the the Thunder, or the Thunder, the Nuggets lead the West by five games. So like if they end up winning the West by, let's say it's like eight games between them and number two. I think that's a pretty big accomplishment. And I think that could put things in Michael Malone's favor. And it feels like Malone should have won this award by now. He hasn't. So there's, there's maybe some, uh, some like lifetime achievement narrative to to be had there. Um, but to get back to the actual bet, Mike Brown, uh, he's the more traditional coach who wins this award, right? It's the team with relatively low expectations, greatly exceeds those expectations that like 80% of the time that's who wins coach of the year. Uh, Sacramento was third in the Western conference. They, they haven't really been playing all that well. They lost six of 11 heading into the break. So I, I have some concerns about the sustainability, uh, but much like Jaron Jackson, uh, if he stays healthy, he wins the award. I think if the Kings finish in the top three in the West, Mike Brown is winning the award. I,
2: I really don't have any arguments against that. You know, I, I generally don't like for this award, I don't like betting guys whose teams added a ton of guys in the offseason. Like, I don't want to make the Bickerstaff bet because the argument is just, well, they added Donovan Mitchell. Like, who could, like, of course they're going to be good. And they did, the Kings didn't really do, like, the Kings made some offseason moves, but they didn't add, like, a legitimate star, right? Like, they got, they got Sabonis last year, but yeah, I mean, again, and they, they've exceeded expectations a lot. I think he's, I think he's really, um, I think there's a good bet to identify. I kind of, I would be interested in throwing a little something on Mark Daniel, Dagnall, however you pronounce his last name, plus 2000 anonymous
1: coach in NBA history.
2: Plus 2000, given what the Thunder have been able to accomplish. But I think, I think some people are going to attribute that to just SGA and just say, well, if we're giving SGA most improved, you know, how much did, did that, um, did he do? So.
1: Yeah, that's a fair um, point. And I, I I considered that with Michael Malone and, and Jokic too. It's like, all right, if Jokic wins his third straight MVP, it's like I don't I don't know how you split the credit there. But anyway, uh let's get to your last one.
2: My last one is just like a pure long shot, just for fun. And um it's Cavs Warriors NBA Finals. Um this is plus eleven thousand. I- yeah, plus eleven thousand. So this is five dollars into fi- uh five hundred and fifty dollars. This is interesting to me. I cause I've I think these two teams are, they can't leave the finals discussion for almost like the opposite reasons. So like the Cavaliers have the statistical profile of a legit contender, right? Like simple rating, all that stuff. They look like a legit contender numbers wise, but they've proven absolutely nothing. Darius Garland, you know, um, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, all these guys have like zero playoff experience. It's just Donovan Mitchell. The, on the other hand, the Warriors have the statistical profile of a not good team, like not a contender, but they've proven everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, So it's it's yeah. sort of like the opposite situations for these teams and why I can't. i I don't think either of these teams are going to the finals, but for some reason, I just can't rule them out. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. And so, again, I don't think this is a great bet. But it's like a $1 bet, $5 bet could be fun. I think it would also just be a really entertaining NBA finals from that perspective. It's like, this team's looked good all year, but they have no experience. The other team's looked bad all year, but they have a ton of experience and they, they turn it around. So, um, I thought that was a fun one, just at 11,000.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could get it. If, if you build that same parlay that we talked about earlier on DK, you get it at, uh, like plus 11,300. So, you know, I mean, we're talking long shots here, of course, but you bet a hundred to win $11,000. I'll, I'll take that. Uh, you know, I would rather do that than bet either of these teams individually to win the title. Uh, and and obviously, you know, there, you could say there's a better chance of that happening. Cause you're not worried about what's going on in the other conference, but I like this. I mean, if you're looking for kind of a Hail Mary bet, I, I wouldn't put more than 10 or 20 bucks on it, but uh, serious money to be made, especially, I think, if you're a believer in the Warriors. Um, right. Because I, I think that's the one that you look at as maybe being the biggest discount value, whereas, like, the Cavs are going to need something to happen. Like, they, they're they probably going to need an injury to Jason Tatum or Giannis or Embiid or something. Like, I, I just, I don't see the Cavs, like, making it through that gauntlet, beating the Sixers and then beating, like, the Celtics or the Bucks or potentially both of those teams. Like, that just, th- that's hard for me to believe. Um, and there's a reason it's plus 11,000, but... Yeah, if you're a believer in Golden State and the infrastructure and you think that Kevin Durant and Chris Paul won't make it through the playoffs, then yeah, I think Golden State could could be framed as a value.
2: Right. And these, you know, these types of bets are fun too, because it's like, well, what what would you want to see? And what do you think is kind of realistic? You know, like I think there's some interesting like 70 you could go 76ers nuggets. You could like whatever combination, there's some interesting value to be had if you really believe in some underdogs in, in either conference. I think you can you can sort of like um Again, it's like you're you're parlaying your your long shots together into, into something.
1: I thought it was interesting that neither of us mentioned MVP. I didn't really I, think about it that much. Like I would have said a couple days ago that Giannis at seven to one is a good value, but now with the wrist thing, like if he misses a week, that might that might just completely rule him out of this. You know, I mean we, we don't have that many games left. If he only plays fifteen or sixteen games the rest of the way and Jokic plays twenty-four, I think that's probably curtains. Um, Yeah, you know, Embiid is still hanging around. It, it it just feels like there needs to be some sort of catalyst to reverse the Jokic narrative that has done nothing but pick up steam for the last two months. Yeah, I mean, if you missed
2: out on Jokic earlier in the year, I I just don't feel like it's worth placing a bet right now. Like we're talking about on November twenty second, Jokic was plus three thousand for MVP. So if you didn't get him then. Or when he was, you know, closer to that, I just don't know if it's worth it anymore. Because now you're talking about minus two fifty. What if he gets hurt? Stuff like that.
1: Okay, we'll end on this. Let's say Jokic wins the award. He's the overwhelming favorite right now. <laughs> Do we have this conversation again next year? Can he win four in a row? Does he have to win the finals this year, or is that narrative officially dead?
2: Oh man. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, we may have to have the conversation again. I mean, if he w- yeah, if he wins Finals MVP, hey, if he wins Finals MVP, he's going to be in for it. That's for sure. Like, I think it would be
1: it'd be funnier if they like flamed out in the first round and then he somehow won MVP again next year. Like four consecutive right. MVPs with like two playoff series wins. I'm a little surprised the voters are are going to let it happen this year, but I know. I mean, the
2: the numbers say it should be him, which I get. But you know, again. We've we've talked about this a million times. A list of guys with three MVPs is is really elite. You don't want to necessarily anoint someone before they've quote-unquote proven it. And so, like, part of me thinks that the media would, in theory, prefer to give it to Embiid. But for some reason, they just don't feel like Embiid's proven enough this year. So, (laughs) I don't
1: know. Well, I mean, the toughest part of this is that Jokic has the team argument and the statistical argument. Like, his team is better than Embiid's team. So... Yeah, you know, if you even want to say that they're equals in in the way that they affect the game overall with Embiid on defense, like whatever, I could I could buy that argument. I don't, I I feel like both teams would rather have their guy, um, and I I think the Bucks feel that way with the honest. It's like all three teams would just keep their guy. They wouldn't trade anybody for anybody, right? But I like the Nuggets if if they finish with a better record, I just don't know how. Like wh- where's the the big mark in Embiid's favor? It's like I, I guess he had the better straight up one one on one performance against Jokic, <laughs> but really that's it. I I don't know. It it it's it's kind of tough to, it's tough to make a case for somebody else, but I, I also kind of struggle to find like, how, how has Jokic picked up this much steam? Because he's just kind of doing what he's been doing. I know the assist numbers are, are up, but like the scoring's down, the rebounding's down compared to last year. It's not like he's, you know, he's been like 20% better than he was a year ago. I I don't know. It depends how you look at it, I guess. I mean, he's shooting 63% from the field, but it, it just doesn't feel like he's had these like insane moments. You know, he's not like hitting game winners left and right. He's just been like, Consistently lethal every night, I guess.
2: Uh, to me, this always just comes down to an argument between passing and defense. Like, if you think defense, if you think Embiid's defense is just more impactful than Jokic's passing, then take Embiid. But you're right in that I think part of the argument, and I think this is always important for the MVP discussion, is like, what would happen if you took this guy off the team? And in that sense, Jokic's on/off numbers are basically like nothing we've ever seen before. And of course the team Mm -hmm. is structured that way. Like the team is structured to where Embiid is, is heliocentric or excuse me, to where Jokic is heliocentric and taking him off the court, destroys the offense. But his second bet, the second best player on that team is, is Jamal Murray. And the second best player on the 76ers is James Harden. So, Mm -hmm. you know, to that extent, like it's way easier for the 76ers to survive without Embiid. I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. And, like you mentioned, yeah, the scoring's down, but higher assists. The field goal percentage is crazy. I don't know.
1: All right, man. We'll we'll end it on that somber note. Uh, trying <laughs> trying to understand the MVP race. Uh, this is really good. Um, glad we did the future stuff. Looking forward to reading that article on the site. You can find that on RotoWire uh, later this week. We'll be back uh, at some point. Do another episode, maybe maybe Wednesday, maybe Thursday, uh, and then we'll will the three amigos officially be back on Friday. I'm pretty sure they will be, yeah. Okay, I know Ken still had us out of office uh, on his email yesterday. I I have not emailed him today, but uh, I think he'll officially be back from FSGA. So uh, looking forward to getting back on schedule and going to be a little bit of a sprint now uh, until the playoffs start in mid-April.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming,